0: I first met my guest today, Damon Goddard, about a year ago when a friend tagged me in a Facebook post that he, Damon wrote in the Institute of Transformational Nutrition's Facebook group. We both share certifications from ITN, and I wanted to connect with a trainer in Dallas. After meeting him and getting getting to know him a bit, plus speaking with him on my podcast, I learned just how awesome he is and the conscientious, humble, and wholesome approach with training his elite athletes and performers he takes them through during this podcast you'll hear how damon went from college and professional soccer to become golf digest's top 50 fitness professional and performance coaches for some of today's top golfers he has over 20 years of experience in the fitness industry and has worked with many golf basketball soccer hockey and hockey professional athletes and everyday athletes as they bridge the gap from post rehabilitation to maximum sports performance I really got a kick out of sharing this conversation with him because to me, performance in and out of the sport is foundational to success in life. I enjoyed listening to Damon break down how he assesses his athletes, creates the best program possible in order for them to feel better, reduce injury, and then pour in performance. And all of this in a stair-stepping manner unique to each individual. You can check out more about Damon and his podcast, The Forever Forward Podcast, as website goddardspn.com goddard is spelled g-o-d-d-a-r-d-s-p-n.com or you can go to his instagram page damon underscore goddard and he has a link to other sites including his website i really hope you enjoy this conversation now let's jump in to this conversation with damon goddard
1: so yeah so it's been good so i've actually been back in the grind uh you know with uh with the athletes
0: in person about... or
1: over the mm-hmm. in, in person. person yep so for about the last four weeks so you know we're getting especially with my golf guys all my basketball guys got you know shipped back to the states and you know some of them are here so it. the european guys yeah and then uh yeah, and then, then, you know, my PGA guys, um, they actually start back, let's see, next week. So, I mean, we had, it was kind of nice, man. We actually had like a three-month off-season, which yeah. we never have, right? So, it uh, it was good. So, yeah. So, uh, they're prepped and ready, and uh, hopefully, I mean, geez, man, we put in some hardware. I wore their asses out. <laughs> it was good, man. It was really good. <laughs> So, but uh, no, it's been, it's been fun, man. I, I, you know, it's kind of like this, I'm sure you've, you've been very introspective over the last you know couple of weeks, especially, but you know, it, it's kind of a cool self-discovery time. So,
0: you know, kind of figuring mm-hmm. out what that next step is. You know? Read it. yeah. It's like you you talk to somebody like either on podcasting or just calling a different friend and they're like, what have you been up to? And it's like a little, It's like sometimes a little bit of pressure something comes up it's like what have i been up to and then it's like well a lot of (laughs) inner introspective kind of stuff yeah a lot of work actually yeah (laughs) it
1: is interesting you know the pressure to feel like i think people get very uncomfortable uh with downtime (laughs) you know and uh you know and it's time that that you have to actually spend time with yourself and uh yeah and people are really uncomfortable with that
0: you know it reminds me of one of my uh, favorite quotes i don't i don't remember it exactly but it's like um, all problems stem from man's inability to sit alone with himself
1: mm-hmm. yeah gosh
0: that's a hundred
1: percent accurate yeah because the moment you have to sit there and look in the mirror hold yourself <laughs> a- accountable to some things and you're like oh crap i don't want to be accountable to myself <laughs> so so yeah so now that's a little snippet and then uh yeah, it's been a, been a year. Um, no, I had a, an emergency surgery in November on Thanksgiving uh, Day, actually. So technically speaking, I'm not supposed to be here um, looking at you. Uh, I had a little brush with death. And, uh, and so I actually ended up getting about 10 inches of my large intestine taken wow. out. Um, and so luckily, you know, the doctors were swift and, uh, you know, they caught it before I was in full blown, uh, sepsis and, uh, yeah, that was, that was, that was pretty ugly. It was really quick, really furious. And then, you know, surgery and then, um, had Very that sorry to hear that but how are you feeling how was the recovery and uh, the recovery sucked um <laughs> yes yeah, so, i mean it was brutal i mean i have a foot-long scar in my uh abdomen and you know i had to wear uh, or i still still do uh they put me on an ostomy bag um for you know technically it was supposed to be three months and i was going to get the surgery in March um but then that's when all the corona stuff hit and uh so they pushed all the elective surgeries out of the way but the next surgery for what they call the takedown is uh I mean you know my doc said hey this is going to be more brutal (laughs) than than, you know the recovery from the first surgery I was like oh great she was like so you got probably you know try to find yourself about five weeks to recover and I was like geez I don't I don't have five weeks man but I'm gonna do it in December but it, honestly it's been uh, you know I mean you you can reframe stuff I can re- reframe things really quick and uh, you know I was like all right well it's really weird that I'm shitting on my stomach you know and having aware wear of you know ostomy bag but I can think of it weird or I can kind of make it more of an experiment and, yeah. and kind of um, build a little bit more empathy with, you know, people that, you know, have to live with, um, yeah. you know, ailments for the rest of their lives. Luckily I have a you know light at the end of the tunnel. Um, so it's, it's been really kind of eye opening for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's, uh, you know, it's been fun. I'm actually full strength now. I mean, it's when full systems go and, you know, pissing all my athletes off and, you know, getting in the grind with them and it's,
0: uh, it's, it's, been, it's, it's been fun. A little bit about your own uh, performance and healing kind of routine. What kind of stuff, what kind of gadgets, tools, you know, exercise, routines, nutrition, all yeah. of the, the gamut of stuff that goes into performance that you you do with yourself that helps with speedy recovery. Yeah. Um, and, and for your yeah. athletes and uh, I'm sure yeah. we'll get into t- touch all of that. but. For all the listeners and your listeners as well, I'd love to get started and hear a little bit more about your story, like you shared with me, I think it was over a year ago, and it's just, you know, it resonates a lot with me. It's very similar with my own, and it's it's inspiring. So please dive into a little bit and how how you play professional soccer and got into training all these uh, high-level performance athletes, and then that even to going to golf and how you found that golf was a sport you love training (laughs) yeah
1: pure happenstance for golf no
0: for sure no
1: i'd love to love to dive deep on all of that interesting um yeah with a little bit of background you know for for me um you know i was an athlete growing up and all through i mean the first time i touched a soccer ball um was when i was five years old um now ironically my entire family um is into football, uh, the American football. Uh, my father was a football coach. Uh, he was, you know, played in college. My brother was a football player. He played in college. I mean, they're all amazing athletes in football. So I grew up with American football, but I chose to, to, to kind of go down the Avenue of playing soccer. And I, I just fell in love with it. It, it. It's one of those sports where, um, it's so it's so dancy and sing-songy to me you know and and i just fell in love with it and you know luckily i i thrived in it and you know i played all the other sports i played football soccer track you know all this other stuff but um but i, I definitely you know went you know gravitated towards the soccer side so you know i got to you know high school and what's really interesting is and when i was 16 years old um, I had, uh, an injury in the left knee. So I, you know, tore my ACL, my MCL, my medial meniscus. It was a really gnarly injury. Um, and, and so at the time the doctors were saying, Hey, um, you know, it's going to be a really tough recovery and you, you might want to adjust some of your goals, um, from a soccer standpoint, you know, at that time, I obviously want to play, you know, collegiate and you know, just take it as far as I could. And so it was really interesting to have to readjust my identity, right? I identified as an athlete my entire life. Um, And now it was a time, especially as a teenager, your formative years is like, man, I I need to shift who I am and in my mind who I think I represent to people. Um, And so I'm very thankful for the injury you know, luckily I was able to be, you know, rehab really well. Um, but that also catalyzed during that, that, you know, moments always change your future decisions, right? So when I was doing the rehab, I was super intrigued with everything. I was like, wait a minute. So I, you know, I can come back from, from this massive injury and potentially, you know, go all the way to playing full performance again. so the, the, Entire progression uh, enamored me, and I fell in love with it. And so early on, when I was 16 years old, I knew exactly what I wanted to do. I wanted to get into either, you know, the medical side or the therapy side, or um, you know, sports performance was still a little new out there. Um, but I fell in love with it early on. And so, I was 16 years old, I shifted gears, and I knew exactly what I wanted to do in, in college in terms of studying and uh and all of my advanced studies so you know luckily rehab went really well you know was able to to play collegiately and um thrived in college um, and and had amazing team amazing teammates and amazing experience um and then you know, the body started kind of going. Hey, re- let me remind you a little bit that uh, you know we've we've worn down. Uh, I wish I would have had one of me when I was actually in high school <laughs> and college uh, to kind of enhance the performance side, uh, because then you know back in you know my day it was uh, it was just run 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 and you know just you know puke and bleed and that's a that's a good workout right. So it wasn't a lot of intelligence that went into our training um however you know was able to play a little bit of a you know a little bit professional and you know nothing sexy whatsoever um but i i vividly remember one of my very first professional games man i could tell you the way the grass smelt the way the temperature was the way the wind was blowing i can you know but then all of a sudden i look across the field and i look who i'm going to be marking you know for the game and this you know super tall guy and I mean he yeah, had speed like nobody's business and, and I was just so like captivated by the moment and then you know the, the ball you know ball had just whizzed past me this guy whizzed past me and then all of a sudden I was like oh my gosh I need to wake up and uh and it was a big wake-up call at that point because I was like okay these guys are um you know light years ahead of me in terms of the, the speed of the game standpoint yeah. so but at that point, you know, I had finished playing you know, college, and, and I knew uh, I had focused put a lot of my you know, biology and exercise physiology, and I, I placed a lot of focus on that. And I said, okay, you know, shoot, I've got to find a real job now. Um, and so I actually uh, transferred to, to Dallas, and then that's when I, I taught for a year. So I taught you know, biology, I taught uh, college prep anatomy and physiology. And what's funny is, once again, moments can teach you uh, some things in the future. And so all of a sudden, I fell in love with teaching. And so I was like, okay, wait a minute. This is you know meeting both my worlds really well, because I, I was doing a lot of speaking you know, through you know the religious side and things like that. We can touch on that a little bit later on. But, um, you know, so it was interesting as I learned to teach and teach effectively, uh, but at the same time I could marry the two of having a platform to teach, but also a platform to teach what I really uh, fell in love with. And then I had the opportunity, um, you know, I obviously didn't like the paycheck uh, that I was getting, uh, you know, teaching, and so I was like, Man, there's got to be something in that sports performance world where I can really dive into sports performance and really you know, work with athletes. Because I love athletes. I've been surrounded by athletes yeah. my entire life. I, I am an athlete, right? And uh, so I, I had three months of still getting a paycheck, measly, mind you, but I was still getting a paycheck from the teaching I said, you know, I am going to open up my my own uh, sports performance company. um, And if I can't do it within three months of supplementing what I was getting from a teaching standpoint, then I'll just do something as a fallback. I'll go bartend or, you know, go sell, you know, yellow pages or whatever. But I gave myself a three-month window uh, to get into the sports performance world. And this was, you know, 20-something years ago and uh and sure enough within the first two months uh it was you know popping and, and, and i was having fun and and fell in love with uh, being able to work with the athletes from the performance side and now the evolution of working with you know a lot of the top professional athletes you know i've, I've had great opportunities to work with the nfl nba you know a lot of hockey guys a lot of um now i've worked with a lot of golfers uh, around at Cleanse. so i still remember this was about 17 years ago had uh, the first uh, you know golfer come in and and I kind of had to shake my head a little bit and go wait a minute you guys you know don't you're not, you're not an athlete wait a minute but then <laughs> but then um, you know when I really dove headfirst into understanding the mechanic, biomechanics and everything that went into the golf game I, I actually saw an opportunity to insert you know what I was doing with a lot of these athletes into their game as well and to enhance their performance because at that time there wasn't a lot of conditioning going on for golf you know especially at the professional level but then all of a sudden you know I call it the tiger effect we saw this this athlete who just looked like a linebacker but he was winning every single tournament and so now everyone kind of had that wake-up call like oh wait a minute um you know athletes and championships those two go together in the game of golf and so all of a sudden everybody kind of had that wake-up call and the demand for performance training in golf really started to, to happen so you know when I had you know accumulated uh, you know a good stable of these you know, professional guys I just instantly fell in love with it now mind you I utterly stunk at golf I mean just stunk um, so I had to take the knowledge that I had and go, okay, I need to understand, you know, from a swing standpoint, what's going on from the biomechanics on the swing. So I can tell you everything about what's going on with the body, but I need to understand the swing. And so I dove head first into, you know, three, four months, really understanding what went into the, you know, what went into the game of golf and once again, fell in love with it. And so fast track, you know, now, I mean, have been able to, you know, gosh, we've had over you know with all my athletes on the you know golf standpoint we've had over 45 professional wins we've got three majors and so we've had a lot of fun a lot of success with it um but you know to be able to you know see a little bit of a window of opportunity in that particular vertical all of a sudden i was like wait a minute you know these guys need what I've been, you know, really diligently studying for my entire life almost, yeah. you know, since I was 16. And, uh, and so I still work with, uh, you know, uh, some of the other athletes to work with, a lot of basketball, to work with some baseball, but, um, but mainly my focus right now is, is the golf side. And, uh, and so, you know, building a team around that's been really fun um, with, you know, drawing in the functional med docs, drawing in, you know, chiropractics and different therapists of that nature. Um, you know the swing coaches, and so what's really neat as an individual on the PGA or any kind of you know LPGA is they're individual athletes, so they're their own team, and so they have to surround themselves with you know the experts, and so you know they, they, it's it's a real um, you know kind of small microcosm of them surrounding themselves with the best of the best to enhance their performance, and so that's why I love it is every time they have to step out onto the course. You know, all the work that everybody's put in, well, it's on the it's on the individual athlete now. And, uh, you know, I can't influence what's going on during play, but I sure can influence everything before and after in order for them to really execute an amazing performance that day. So to me, that's a blast. And, um, you know, there's a lot of pressure when it comes to that. And, you know, a lot of people say, well, it must be real easy to work with professional athletes because they're professional athletes. In my mind, I'm like, wait a minute, you, you, you know, I can see amazing changes with an amateur athlete, but when it starts to come to the professional standpoint, it's very difficult to elicit even, you know, 2% more performance out of a a professional athlete, right? Mm -hmm. And so then all of a sudden, you know, you've got to put a lot of thought process on your conditioning and all your progressions and how you're recovering, how the nutrition, how the sleep, how the, you know, everything comes into play to elicit as much performance out of this athlete.
0: That's awesome. Thanks for sharing. I want to dive a lot into like the performance and the assessment that goes into it and how you assess the athletes. But first, I'm curious, uh, when you were 16, what about the sports um, performance and uh, recovery intrigued you so much at that age? Because the understanding we have, and I'm sure your own uh, assessment and enhancing performance for your athletes has, you know, changed dramatically. Yeah, no, you
1: know, what I've found is it was, it's been a stark contrast to when I was 16 to obviously what I do now you know what was out there when I was 16 I mean you know not to you know throw any programs or anything under the bus but it was just let me see if how big how fast and how strong I can get these athletes right with no regard to how can I actually prevent injury right and so you know really now we've seen the paradigm shift you know if I'm inverting and. Pyramid, you know, the, the very s- small piece of that pyramid, the top of the pyramid, is is all the you know speed, strength, you know, all that yeah, power. Man. Everything that's under you know that is you know how can I maintain mobility? How can I maintain stability? How can I you know do all of my functional work? How can I actually you know build a basis for performance in order to then enhance my speed, strength, power. So back then, when I was 16, I mean, it was, goodness gracious, I go back and, I mean, for fun, I would do bench press contests, right? You know, when I was 16 years old, I was, you know, bench pressing, like, 315. I mean, it was ridiculous, right? <laughs> um, I mean, it was just absolutely absurd uh, how how strong I was. I mean, goodness, I what I, I was that, I squatting? I mean, I, you know, it was, this was pretty sad. Bros, don't let bros skip leg, baby. I was squatting, like, something like 450. I mean, I was really, yeah. like... You know, we were really getting after it in the gym or in the weight room, but there was no preventative piece to it. You know, you didn't do anything that we do now. I mean, my goodness, when we're going into an assessment now, I mean, gosh, I'm looking at, you know, movement efficiency patterns. I'm taking them through a series of movements and letting the, the body tell me the story of what's going on with tightness and weakness, where there may be asymmetries, where there are, you know, compensatory type movements that will give me almost a look into the future and go, okay, there may be a propensity for injury due to this asymmetry. And then all of a sudden I can start to program around that in order to avoid the injury and then kind of stave it at the pass. Once we've improved movement efficiency, then we can pour in the components of speed, power, strength, all of that stuff. Right. And so Now when you're dealing with conditioning and programming, I mean, you really have to take in consideration all the assessments, you know, from a movement efficiency testing to range of motion testing. I need to really dive deep into my recovery and readiness. We dive deep into, you know, working with a lot of our functional med docs. I mean, we're we're getting all kinds of blood work. We're getting, um, you know, recovery statistics. We're, you know, using, you know, a lot of wearable technology now on a daily basis. I'm seeing where the recovery rates are, what their stress levels are, or, you know, output of their, you know, daily stresses. I'm looking at their sleeping patterns. I'm looking at all of those stories that start to tell me how can I, as a, as a you know performance coach, how can I start to pull out as much um, performance out of an individual? Wow. But here's the deal, though, is... You know when i was 16 it was all about let me see if i can make them puke and sweat and bleed right just pushing to the limit in a sense instead of right exactly so now i mean we see you know various factions within the you know same you know conditioning world right now they're still kind of take that mindset There's go 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 all the time right but then what happens is we have so many external variables that come into play meaning you know, if I have programmed somebody for just an absolute high volume day, right? But they come in and I, you know they're coming in on four and a half hours sleep.
0: Yeah.
1: Uh, their stress levels are high. Their nutrition stunk the day before. Um, you know, they're you know when they're walking out the door, they had to change their baby. You know, there's a lot of things that come into play that are the external variables that if I had a program where it's a high volume day, I'm actually gonna do more detriment to that athlete than I am anything uh, that looks like advancement of their performance. And so I have to take a look at those variables. I have to consistently assess every single time they come in, I have to have those feedback mechanisms in order for me to go, okay, this particular program, I need to make serious adjustments and make an audible on this high volume workout. And now today, you know what, we're just actually going to do a stability mobility day and uh, I need to help you recover as fast as possible. Right. Well, and what's really interesting is to me, you know, when we take a look at you know, calling audibles on some of these programs, Then, all of a sudden, what we did from a regression standpoint, I actually advanced them further than taking four steps back, right? And so now we just kind of stood still, and then we still took two steps forward because now they're more more mobile, more stable. So, you know, as a conditioning coach and performance coach, it's really interesting. You have to take a look at all the variables that come into play, and that's why we consistently assess, you know you can do a lot of, you know, paralysis by analysis as well, you know, and so it works uh, against some people sometimes for the simple fact is, you know, let's say if I'm wearing my, you know, whoop, right, my, you know, the whoop band wearable technology, Uh and, you know, goodness, it gives me a, you know, 40% recovery, right? Well, mentally, I see that and I go, oh my gosh, I'm, I'm such a turd today. You know, I'm not going to be doing anything. Which, is, you know? which can be and, even more harmful. Exactly, right? And so, you know, all of a sudden, I'm letting a number start to dictate mm-hmm. my mentality and my, you know, emotion. and And so, you know, there's this fine balance between you know, and and this is, you know, when you're working with top athletes, the last thing you want to do is inundate them with a massive amount of information, because they're already focused on their particular game, right, or round, or executing their shots, and so you've got to be very careful on how much uh, information that you actually dispel to them, or do you show your brilliance and go, Hey, listen, today is just going to be a simple, you know, corrective movement day today. Yeah. Knowing full well that, you know, if I put a high volume workout on them,
0: I'm going to absolutely kill them today. And you want them to burn out as well. So it's like, how do you also incorporate the fun aspect? Oh, 100%. Yeah. And I think that's
1: lost uh, a lot in our, you know, just day-to-day programming. You know, one of the things that I absolutely have loved seeing uh, you know, through this entire you know break that everyone has had to have through the COVID, is people are actually um, identifying. You know, fitness. There's a correlation: fitness, I'm going to feel well. Mm-hmm. I see families walking. I see you know the, the activity level and the individuals have really started to increase. Yeah. But what I've really enjoyed seeing is people are identifying what they enjoy doing, and if you enjoy doing what you do. I don't care if it's goat yoga or whatever, (laughs) right? If you enjoy doing it, you're going to do it consistently for the simple fact you're going to show up every single day, right?
0: And so, so, it'll release even greater kind of returns. Oh, 100%. It's released. Yeah. I mean, think about, you know, just the endorphin response
1: from just showing up to something you enjoy, right? You know, and, and so you know, when I go to a, you know, goat yoga or something, and I, I enjoy. You've actually done that, Damon? (laughs) Yeah, I've done it once, (laughs) and the moment I got pooped on, I was like, I'm out, Um, but uh, (laughs) but it's funny, so I didn't show up the next time, but, um, but, you know, the workouts that you do, I mean, you simply gotta enjoy doing them. Now, once again, it's that gray line, it's like, Do I enjoy it because it's easy or do I enjoy it because I know it brings me emotional and mental income, right? And so. My split of the hair right there. Yeah, it's interesting, you know. So, and so I don't care if it's easy. I mean, one of the best exercises we can do is simply just go out for a walk. Right. And so the moves in the body, we're getting multi directional type movements, we're bipedal movement. I everything's moving. There's emotional income being, you know, coming on. And, you know, one of the most amazing exercises is simply going for a walk. Um, you now, if that's your one thing that you do, keep doing it because what's going to happen is it's going to start to have a compounding effect. Right. And so once that compounding effect starts happening, you start to feel better when you go walking. You start to, you know, once you, you know, kind of get into, you know, the emotional income of just simply going for a walk, what happens is now you're starting to make better decisions nutritionally. You're starting to make better decisions, um, gosh, with maybe your spouse, you know, you come back after a walk and now you're refreshed, now you're revived. And so what it does is movement is, it becomes medicine. And whatever that medicine may be, just keep moving for the simple fact it's going to start to elicit a very amazing cascade effect of, you know, how we feel and the decisions that we make.
0: Nice. We'll break down. Uh, (laughs) Where where did you think, where do you think the um, the real kind of change in awareness came with the assessing all these different variables and also re-qualifying them as variables? Because even... A short amount of time ago when I was in college and high school, you know, those different things we're calling variables now were quote unquote excuses, <laughs> you know, yeah. and it's, and then you, I mean, you, you mentioned a great point where it's like, how do you split that, that hair or find that balance? Yeah. Yeah. No kidding. So it's like you really have to create also a, a, a great relationship with the, with your athletes or with the other person, which in no case is a bad thing at all. No. I mean, listen, we're, we're in a
1: relationship business first and foremost. Yeah. I mean, first thing you have to do is, is, um, you know, embody trust with your athlete. I mean, and really even just the avid, you know, I call everyone athletes. So, you know, even the mom of three that walks into a private studio, I mean, listen, as a, as a conditioning coach or a personal trainer or, you know, whatever your title is, You've got to understand that there's a massive amount of humility that comes into play when that individual walks through your door and says, I need your help. Please help me. Right. And then there's this amazing exchange that starts to happen when someone has the humility enough. And it, I mean, man, it, it, you know, to make that decision say, I need to hire somebody to help me move. Yeah, right. Yeah, that's that's a massive amount of humility. And so I have to respect that. And then all of a sudden now I, I have to take ownership on the direction that, the, that we take them. Right. And so it's really interesting when you when you say that is like, how do we draw the fine line between um, excuses and numbers? Right. And so my thing is, listen, any kind of variable that I can actually track and have quantifiable measurements to and so through through our assessments even like movement efficiency or range of motion or you know you know once again the wearable technologies where I can you know monitor sleep patterns stress patterns all that all those are quantifiable numbers that I can't refute right those are those are real right and so now the reality of things, you know, I can't argue with, right? So when a, you know, when a client comes in and says, you know, back in the day, oh man, I feel terrible. Well, what does that mean, right? And so now with all the technology that we have, I can actually see that, right? And see that they're feeling terrible. They slept for three and a half hours. They had maybe 40 minutes of REM sleep and they had zero recovery that night, right? But now, The escalation of technology, the escalation of knowledge that has happened, man, over the last, I would say, 10 years alone has been unbelievable. Um, And so, you know, when you're getting into the science of performance, um, I would really say technology is coming to play big time. When you have an athlete come in and say, you know, I just feel like dog poo right? And I go, well, you know what? Your numbers show, yes, you look and feel like dog poo. Okay. Or someone comes in and goes, I really don't want to do this today. And I go, um, well, let's take a look at your recovery numbers and your sleep. Oh, wait a minute. You're at a 92% recovery. Um, it's go time. And we need to elicit as much uh, out of this day as possible, right? Yeah. And so all of a sudden, we mitigate the excuse thing, right? And we mitigate, um, you know, them kind of having that parachute moment going, I just don't want to do this. I go, well, yeah, I understand you don't, you know, feel like you need to do it, but physically everything's showing me that we have to do it in order to elicit as much performance, right? It's a little bit different from, you know, when you're obviously getting paid millions of dollars to, to you know, play a sport. But for, you know, even like me, I mean, listen, man, I'm a single dad of two. Uh, you know, grind all the time with all these athletes, and I mean, goodness, I, it, there's there's a lot of external variables that can come into play yes. in terms in terms of excuses, and trust me, I try to find every single excuse possible to avoid, um, you know, really having to get a, a, a big grind of a workout, but every single time when I start to make the decision and go, you know what, today I need to move in order to just feel better but then i have to also attach it to why am i doing what am i what i'm doing right and so as a father of two i mean listen dude i'm not a young dude at all you know, I'm. From, i got one week away from turning 45 and thank you yeah um it is young with how our
0: technology is going these days
1: oh man i'm, I'm trying to reverse that as much as possible <laughs> but here's the thing man is like you know i take a look at all those external variables i go oh. man i'm old and I, you know, or heck, I'm not even old. I feel like I'm freaking 25 years old. I love it. Um, But uh, what's funny is there's a lot of excuses that I can make, but when I attach it to a why, right? And so, you know, I'll I'll peel a little bit of the onion back. My why every single day wakes up and, you know, and I look in their bedroom and and I see them sleeping and I go, okay, the reason why I do every single thing I do is in order to, you know, be able to, one, to provide for those guys, right? But what's interesting being a father or parent is you really need to understand those, those you know, two little boys that you know, are looking at me all the time, they're gonna emulate every single action that's going on. And so you know, if they see me moving and they see me um, you know, being vibrant with life, um, you know what, they're gonna adopt that as well. Yeah right? And I can can track that mentality all the way back, dude. When I was five years old, I remember vividly, my dad was an absolute just beast in the weight room, right? I'm seeing this guy, I'm five years old, and it's such a vivid memory. We're going into the weight room, and I'm watching him, you know, strap on the weight belt, and he's got a chain, and the dude straps three 45-pound plates on and then proceeds to do like 20 pull-ups right and i'm just like wait a minute this guy is an absolute superman so what that was though is the seed that was planted in a yeah. very young brain and goes man i can see my dad doing really kind of superhuman things and no wonder i'm doing you know the business that i'm doing now yeah. because the seed was planted real early on right and so I mean, these kids are sponges. And so when I say my why, you know, my why is I know that I have two little dudes watching every single thing I do, watching, you know, listening to every single thing I say, Um, you know, and, and so my words just don't, you know, mean anything. That's my actions, right? And you start talking about motivation. My goodness, motivation to me is not just this feeling. Motivation to me is action and so now if i have if i can you know instill some things into my children all of a sudden to me that, that was a job well done that's my why right yeah and i mean goodness i mean you know we can even start talking about you know some topical th- you know things going on you know socially right now i mean it's a culture over anything is yeah. you know it starts at the home right and so anything that i want to start to elicit and if i want to make a change I've got to start making a change within my own heart first. And then, um, you know, that my kids will follow suit with that. You know, And, and so it, it's really a big onus to me to just go, okay, my why, I very much understand. I want to be vibrant for my kids. And selfishly, I don't want my kids to beat me in a race. I don't <laughs> want them to beat me in a game. I'm too competitive, right? Yeah. So when I'm sixty years old, <laughs> and all of a sudden, you know, my two little boys won't you know, take me on a basketball court. You know what? I'm I'm gonna not let them be me. I w I wanna try to perform as much yeah. as possible, right? I wanna have fun with them. Yeah. And uh and that's you know, to me, having fun with my kids is really that uh, that why and and why I move and just grind every single day is to just be able to have fun with my kids. I love being a dad. Dad, you know, being a dad is one of the greatest gigs ever. Um, but you know, if I can't physically do things with them, then all of a sudden I go, man, this isn't real fun, you know. And so, you know, just a very few months ago. There was two months where, man, I couldn't, you know, I had emergency surgery back in November. And there was two months where, man, I couldn't play with them. I, You know, even them hugging me hurt. (laughs) And, you know, the recovery absolutely stunk. Um, And it was a great reminder to me that uh, that, my why is I need to be able to be very functional for my kids because there's a lot of emotional income when I see them laughing and having fun and wrestling with their dad, yeah. you know? So, and even with athletes, you need to define their, you know, the, the purpose behind why they're doing what they're doing. Right. And so, you know, I think for most of my guys and gals that I work with is listen, they, they want to Build a legacy um you know to be remembered uh, on whatever sport they they 're playing right um, that 's their why, but you know the day to, the day to day things that they do from movement you know uh, sessions to being on the court or being on the course or being on the field you know those are just small little strokes that start to come into this beautiful portrait of the legacy that they're gonna leave behind. And so you're, you're using their platform of being a good athlete. Hopefully you're, you know, really eliciting these individuals in their sport to use that platform to make an impact that's much more broad than them just playing sport. They're making impact on their foundation. their you know, they're, they're in the community so to me you know if you're not moving well and that's why i love what i do is if i can elicit as much performance and and potentially win a championship potentially win a major all i all i know is i played a small part in their ability to do that for them to be have the ability to make a broader impact on the community beyond them
0: that's awesome and it's the, the why the inspiration is definitely a one of the largest if not the largest piece in it. So when, you, when a client, when an athlete comes in and you're assessing them, and I love earlier you spoke about a little bit kind of like you're reading body language almost. You're assessing how they move, how they do these swings, the different functional movements. Uh, number one, I'm curious, did you learn a little bit about that uh, in, in school when you were learning or when you really dove into it yourself and then over practice, you started noticing these little tweaks? And then second, can you dive into really the breakdown? So new client like myself comes in, new athlete, you know, where do you start? What are all the key elements that go into assessing it, assessing it? so that also somebody, yeah. you know, at home can begin to assess their own performance? Because you got to have some kind of baseline and then also know what you kind of what to, want to envision. Yeah
1: yeah oh man we can have a eight hour session off this one this is <laughs> um so to answer the first part of that you know it's really interesting the um collegiate uh learning that i had my undergraduate um having biology and exercise physiology it, it gave an amazing um foundational knowledge i can tell you where. You know, every single muscle in the body, I can tell you every articulation, I can tell you the insertion origin, and I can do a kinesiological analysis on the Fosbury flop and write about an 85-page paper on the thing, right? Here's the problem, though, is I learned all that. I didn't know one iota on how to apply it and then make it a better Fosbury flop, right? Or the high jump, old-school high jump, right? Right. So we had to do these crazy kinesiological analysis on, on movement patterns, right? or sports movements, throwing, kicking, all this stuff. I could tell you every single joint that was going on, here's the deal though, is that was amazing foundational knowledge to then my advanced education of understanding movement patterns, right? And so now if we weren't isolating one particular muscle, one particular articulation or joint, right, um, the body starts to move as systems. Right. And so you have to understand now a deeper understanding of how the body moves as as systems. And so, you know, throughout the years, the first thing that I noticed, you know, after the undergraduate, after teaching and getting into the sports performance side is in the collegiate setting, we actually really weren't taught how to program an athlete. I mean, how do you write up a, a progression? How do you write up, you know, how do you elicit performance out of an athlete, right? So that was a big um, you know, curveball for me uh, that you know, I had to quickly acquire knowledge on how to program. And so, you know, 20 something years ago, I was like, okay, I need to dive head first and start to understand uh, the model on how to build appropriate progressions, right? And so the idea now is, you know, and luckily I've really stumbled upon a lot of higher um, learning pro- thought processes early on is, um, you know, through understanding progressions, you know, starting somebody at base, you know, just understanding, you know, we've gotta get mobility, we gotta get stability, right? And then all of a sudden you have all these stair-stepping effects of program that get all the way into, you know, speed and power. The problem is, is everyone, once again, just like we were talking about earlier, is everyone actually wanted to get, you know, everyone wants speed and power and strength. And so all of a sudden everyone just goes there first. Mm -hmm. And then all of a sudden they get hurt. So, all of, you know, so, you know, and so you got to take this thought process of going, listen, it's okay to start on a foundational program and start at a low level and then slowly build into speed and power. So, you know, the acquisition of knowledge through that and, and really surrounding myself with, you know, a lot of the amazing thought leaders um, you know, within our industry was paramount uh, because I knew there was a lot of deficits in my uh, academic side. Um, and so to start to understand that if this is going on in the body then this is happening right and so let's take a real simple you know squat patterning assessment right and so some of the things I'm taking a look at a squat pattern is you know you know from the toes all the way up to the you know head and and, you know the arms raised above the head I'm taking a look at every single Um, body position and understanding if this is going on, this, this is happening, meaning, you know, let's say if I'm squat pattern and I see in the ankle, you know, foot flattening position, right? And I see an asymmetry going on in there. Um, and so you know if my right foot's flattening then all of a sudden there's a propensity for um, so it's really interesting when you start to take a look at the foot flattening position and then all of a sudden there's a propensity on that right knee to collapse and go into knee valgus and then all of a sudden there's an asymmetrical weight shift over to the left and then all of a sudden you know there may be some you know trunk flexion and arms falling forward position so all of a sudden i go whoa wait a minute okay i need to start taking a look at if this is going on then i need to start understanding um you know how immobility in the ankle or even in the big toe is starting to affect the entire chain all the way up into the cervical region and even in the shoulder region as well and so having an understanding of going okay if there is you know immobility in my you know metatarsophalangeal joint I've got to track it all the way and see, you know, where it may be impacting um, movement efficiency. And so all of a sudden, you know, I got a guy coming in and I say, man, I got really limited external rotation in my right shoulder, right? And I go, okay, well, let's go through an assessment protocol. And then all of a sudden I find, you know, his left ankle dorsiflexion absolutely sucks. then all of a sudden I go, huh, it's impacting the entire chain all the way from the left, all the way to the right side of my hand. Um, That entire chain I need to clean up. And so all of a sudden I'm starting to understand movement as a whole, Mm -hmm. not as an individual, right? And so, you know, one would say, well, we need to just need to do a bunch of external rotation, you know, exercises for my right shoulder. But if I didn't understand how the body moves, then I would very much do this guy a disservice because i would never addressed the causative factor. All I'm doing is addressing the symptom. And so now understanding cause and effect really in, empowers these coaches to start to understand how can I um, pull out as much movement efficiency as possible with this individual starting to understand, you know, how my left ankle may affect my right shoulder. Um, <clears throat> And so that's, that's, you know, the escalation of learning is that's where we start to take a lot of our um, assessment protocols. So, you, you know, to answer your second question is, you know, if you're an individual coming in, um, you know, I go through a big, big discovery session. I need to understand where you came from um, in terms of, you know, your, your training, uh, what your you know, goals are, what your you know, current status is and really you know where do you want to take this thing uh, from a from a performance standpoint yeah. But then also I, I have to go through and I go, okay, cool. Let's do our full discovery session. So I take them through really you know, four or five different tests. Um, and one of them is going to be the movement efficiency test. And so it's a series of just them moving and the body starts to tell me the stories. You know, if the knee is collapsing, then this is happening. If, you know, the shoulders are falling, then this is happening. If I have asymmetries going on, this is happening it's really interesting. The body just innately tells you the story. Yeah. Right? And so I could stop there and program like nobody's business based off of that. Right. And really make somebody move really well. Um, but I also understand that when there's compensatory movements going on, uh, generally speaking, I'm always going to start with mobility and so I go into some range of motion testing as well. And so that's where we go joint by like joint race, starting to understand um, range of motion. Um, then, we trickle into, you know, really kind of understanding what are they currently doing from a recovery strategy, right? Uh, I need to understand their nutrition, I need to understand their sleeping patterns, I need to understand their hydration, I need to understand their stress levels, all the variables that are going to come into play uh, in order for them to recover faster. To me, you know, with my athletes, uh, recovery is king. Right I can you know be as fast and as strong and, and and that's cute. But if I can't recover and be able to play the very next day and and play well, then everything gets thrown out the window because the next day you're not recovering well. And so recovery is king to me. and so I need to understand how to get them to recover faster, but most mostly give them the tools, in order to help them recover fast, right? And so whether that be helping them understand, you know, addressing very specific mobility issues, or you know we do a lot of um, you know myofascial stuff, or whether it be neurodynamic type flexibility or whatever that may be, is I'm going to give them then a very strategic game plan of going, we're going to get you from A to Z but there's a lot of variables that are going to throw us off the path on this, and we're going to call a lot of audibles in our progressions, but I know, just simply based off of those three tests, I know how to get them from A to Z. Now, then we go deeper levels, and we do a lot of, you know, things with our, like I said, our, our functional medicine docs, and we get into a lot of blood work, and hormone profiles, and uh, understanding cellular inflammation, how we can start to you know mitigate a lot of cellular inflammation via nutrition and, and hydration. So we go pretty deep in all that stuff. That sounds awesome. um, But you know, you know, that's also the luxury of having a lot of um, you know maybe some disposable income to be able to do that. But if I just want to simply feel better. You know, going through a movement efficiency test and start to understanding how my body is moving is really, really powerful. And then you can really have an enlightened moment, going, "Oh, okay, I didn't know that I was shifting over to my left when I'm going into a squat pattern. No wonder my right low back hurts all the time when I'm, you know." So, starting to understand that, all of a sudden, it empowers the individual to go, "Okay, I can now have buy-in on what you're providing me." because I understand that you can, as a coach, you can guide and direct me down the path um, that's gonna lead me to feeling better, right? And so that innately starts to build the the trust mechanism that is imperative between the coach and the athlete, right? Once again, everybody's an athlete. Um, And as the coach, there's a massive amount of pressure on you because once again, the vulnerability for that individual to walk through your door The weight of them walking through your door and saying, I need your help, that's huge. And so I have to take that responsibility on very highly and then go, okay, I need to then be able to provide the best program possible for this individual in order for them to, um, you know, number one, feel better, reduce the risk of injury first. Then, pour in the you know components of performance and and all the things that they want to pursue later, but i 've got to do it in a stair stepping manner and help them understand that you know every individual is different. I might not have these amazing results within two months. it might be two years, man, but them having buy in on understanding the process is imperative, and so whether it be a two month um, You know, program or whether it be a two-year program, it's their strategy behind it, and them understanding it is pretty. It's longer lasting. It's longer lasting because then all of a sudden, you know, it's cute to have a bunch of championships with your athletes and everything. But to me, you know, the funnest feedback that I get from you know my avid athletes is like, "Hey, listen, dude, you know, I'm a 65-year-old guy. I've been in, you know." I haven't been able to move well. I haven't been able to finish an entire you know, um, you know, round of golf without pain. And then their feedback comes back, and they go, listen, I just played 18 holes, and I don't feel any pain whatsoever. As a matter of fact, I feel like I can go back and play another 18. To me, that's the equivalent of winning you know, a Masters, right? That's huge feedback, right? Because then what happens is, as a coach, I need to understand – I just poured something really cool into that person's psyche. <clears throat> all of a sudden, they're out of pain. They feel better. What's the trickle effect that starts to happen? Well, all of a sudden, now they can play with their grandkids, right? They come back with a little bit of vibrancy back into you know their house and you know maybe their spouse. Or their the whole significant. life continued. Their whole the,
0: life kind of improved. Yeah, That's a huge trickle effect, and I love, I love it. I love so much about the performance in general. It's just like the you as we kind of conclude and summarize the like you were mentioning in your own story the whole disidentification of playing of being the athlete actually helped you learn the better ways to improve playing the sport Mm -hmm. and and not being the the soccer player or the basketball player but that's a, a role or an activity that you engage in and then you can look at it as, Oh, well then I can improve. I can kind of change. Yeah. And I love the whole breakdown of the assessment and it's inspiring. And as I step into the role and I want to become an, my own performance coach like that, it's, it's really awesome. I'm curious a little bit as we obviously it, it, this next question, I'm sure could be a whole nother subject of its own. Um, but a lot of it also uh, must be the mindset. So how do you assess somebody's mindset coming in yeah. uh, and their own beliefs, you know, about, Hey, I don't really, they might not believe, you know, I'm 65 years old um, and I can play in eight eighteen 18 um, holds of golf. So, so <laughs> you, you showed that, like you explained with the the performance, the movement the nutrition, but also you gotta like, um, how do you inst, how do you kind of program and assess the, the mindset part as well? Yeah, for sure.
1: You know, I wish there was a magic pill to say I can assess somebody, you know, from a mindset standpoint, um, you know, right off the bat. Um, you know, there's not a magic pill to do that. Uh, but what happens is it's really interesting. Um, I can usually tell within the first couple of sessions, uh, you know, someone's willingness to make a change, Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and and, you know, listen, a lot of, a lot of the individuals will give us a lot of lip service. Like, yeah, I want to, you know, lose 25 pounds and I go, okay. Um, that's good. Uh, I I understand that's a goal, but as a coach, I need to ask better questions. Mm -hmm. Right. And so a lot of coaches will stop right there and go, okay, you want to lose 25 pounds. Cool. I have the solution for you. (laughs) Right. And you can write the cutest little nutrition program, the cutest little program design. Um, but then, you know, you give it to them and then all of a sudden they're not compliant with it. Right. Once again, let's circle back in our conversation. I need to ask better questions as a coach. I need to unravel. Why do they need to lose 25 pounds? Why do they want to lose 25 pounds? Right? Yeah. Um, you know, and, and much like if, you know, if I have a professional athlete, I I want to be the best in my sport. I want to win you know four or five majors. Right. Well, what does that mean to you? Um, Because you're not identified by losing 25 pounds. You're not identified by winning one major. You're identified by the legacy that you leave behind. And Mm -hmm. so as a coach, I need to ask better questions of understanding what it actually means to that individual to then accomplish what they just told me, right? And then it's up to me to go, is that you know, realistic? Is it, is it within the realm of reality for them to, to do this? I can tell within the first, you know, like I said, first two, three, four times that I'm with this individual, if they're going to be compliant with the program. Because I can give them a, you know, the best program that meets their unique and very specific needs. But the, the best time is when they're actually not with you. Right. And so are they going to actually do, do the things that they are supposed to be doing um, on the off days that they're not with you? Cause listen, man, they may come in for, let's say two, three times a week. Right. All right, cool. You just saw them for three hours out of their entire week. Right. It's up to them to make decisions for the rest of those hours. Yeah. Right. Throughout the entire week to have this compounding effect of change. So as a coach, if I'm asking better questions, I can start to help them understand why it's very important for them to lose 25 pounds, right? Then if I provide them with a really cool pathway to do that, then all of a sudden, I can start asking better questions along the way in order to have better compliance. And so then all of a sudden, now the buy-in on trust between the athlete and the coach gets deeper and deeper for the simple fact i'm asking better questions yeah listen we're not just you know performance coaches um we're in the business of of really understanding human nature right
0: and so psychology i was talking to uh luca hosovar i think many mm -hmm. months ago and it's like we you gotta understand that part of it
1: yeah, no, you you have to. For the simple fact is, you know, we're we're in a business of communicating. And so I honestly think if more coaches could actually focus on listen, there's there's amazing continuing education that can that can happen, but you know, if you actually spent about 40% to 50% of your time on on learning to be a better communicator with your athlete and client, dude, that's going to set you so far apart from any other strength coach. Because once again, what happens in our industry, unfortunately, is is me, me as the strength coach, I, you know, most individuals will then try to impose my goal on that client because it makes me look good, right? If I can make them lose 25 pounds, well, sure enough, I'm going to post that before and after picture on my Instagram and make me look good. If it's about you, you need to get out of the freaking business. For the simple fact is, if you're not doing it, in order to elicit change out of people and really breathe life into people as a performance coach and a strength coach, personal trainer. If you don't lead with, and this is really something you don't lead with love on that, it's all about you. And it's the you show. And you know what? If it's the you show, become an Instagram, you know, fitness model. That's great. Do that. It won't last with the way it, the world works. It's not gonna okay. last. Mm-mm. Because you know, there's a trickle effect of being able to breathe life into individuals. And so if you lead with, lead with love on that and lead with compassion for the individual, lead with better communications, better questions that you can ask on these individual athletes and you know, clients coming in, all of a sudden now that's going to start to separate you from the good to the great. And now you become a great coach rather than just a coach that clocks in eight hours a day doing training on, you know, people that you don't necessarily might not enjoy because you don't have buy-in yourself. You don't want to necessarily be there, right? For the simple fact is you don't understand
0: why they're there. So if you understand why they're there, it makes you a better coach anyways. Well, Damon, I know you got your own podcast coming up. So thank you. It's it's always fun. It's I've been yaying and wowing a lot this whole podcast because <laughs> it's so cool to break down, you know, how to improve one's performance. But we're not just talking about performance, you know, on the court or on the field. It like it really translates to every area, every aspect of your life from your relationships to your finances to your how you show up and work to everything. That's why I, I think that's what I'm so passionate about and can tell you're so passionate about. Oh, know, yeah. And of course, putting it on the, putting it into the the game, the, the kind of the game being the language to express all that. It's so cool. Yeah. But uh, To finish up, can you, can you tell us, tell people where they can get in touch with you and if they want to look into how they can uh, yeah. train with you as well as, uh, Uh, Please share a few words about your podcast that you started. Yeah,
1: for sure. No, for sure. Yeah, no. You know, I love uh, using the old Instagram. And so just real simple, you know, Damon underscore Goddard, uh, or just pull up Damon Goddard uh, on Insta, or you can go to the website. It's Goddardspn.com. Yeah, I would love to, you know, have the listeners uh, go check out the podcast that we have called Forever Forward um, and really the platform behind that is, is allowing a platform for individuals to really um, breathe life uh, into the listeners and the you know, people watching, you know, the actual videos of, of understanding how do I just simply keep moving forward? You know, I, I, we really get inhibited by thresholds in our mind where it really just, you know, we think we need to jump, you know, 15 steps ahead. Whereas if we just simply took one step. Past the threshold, we start to increase our capacity. We start to increase our power to do bigger things, and it just simply takes one step. And so, having the forward, you know, f- forever forward mindset, even the deepest of valleys, if I can just keep one step forward, yeah. uh, then all of a sudden, you know, I'm making progress. And so, it's a really uh, neat cast of individuals. We got all kinds of Olympic athletes. We've got uh different coaches we've got uh man people just making big impacts and so it's, it's a lot of fun and uh and once again i i appreciate you know you doing what you're doing man I, I think you know just by simply people listening to this you're have the ability to make a bigger impact on individuals and so using your platform really well and i appreciate the time uh, that you spent with me so very grateful well
0: thank you and and thank you i'm sure of on account for all the athletes and people that you're inspiring, you know, sometimes those valleys, those deep valleys that you mentioned can be unconscious in a sense. We're not, we're not even aware that we are hindering our own performance. So being, ha- being able to have somebody like yourself and all the other different coaches and leaders in this industry, it's, it's awesome. Yeah. So I appreciate you. it, bud. Good luck and enjoy your own income or upcoming podcast. I appreciate it, man. Everybody. Take care. You too, man. Here are a few practical applications. Number one, how do you identify yourself? If you play a sport, do you identify with being that player? How does it feel to shift from being the athlete to playing that sport and having the athlete as a role you can play? Take note and observe how the shift in mindset and perception makes you feel. Perhaps it makes you feel more empowered or powerful. Number two, prior to developing your own program or going to a performance coach like Damon, ask yourself what your deep purpose is and what you'd like to improve on. Like when Damon mentioned unraveling why someone wants to lose 15 pounds as an example. Number three, if you're a coach, How are you leading your clients and providing them programs that don't just help them, uh, if we're using the same example, lose 15 pounds, but also empower them to understand why. Try asking better questions that lead to more accurate questions and answers. One way to do this would be to ask why until the question or the answer is very clear and specific. Why would you like to lose 15 pounds? Well, maybe to be in better shape for your kids or to look better, the better questions will lead to what the individual really would like to improve on. I hope these practical applications, as well as the whole episode, really gave you some insight on performance and where you could improve on your own life. If you have any more tips or practical applications, please be sure to let me know. Thank you very much for tuning in and listening. I hope this episode brought you some really great value. If you enjoyed any of these episodes or would like to hear more, please leave me a review on Apple or Anchor podcast. I'm always looking out for topics to learn and talk about, gifts to share, and value to bring to us all. For more updates, please check out solomonezra.wixsite.com slash solomonezra. That's S-O-L-O-M-O-N-E-Z-R-A. That's where you can also sign up for newsletters, read about blogs, and hear my different podcasts. Take care.